Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Hmm. Well, here we are, 24 hours later. Are we having fun? First day of a of a retreat, even if you've been doing this for a long time, is generally um, you realize soon it, this is not necessarily going to be a bliss trip. Uh, although some people uh, might be having a really wonderful day, for most uh, the first day is uh, is challenging. And just take a little uh, weather report. How many people were sleepy today? Take a look around. Hmm. How did I know that? Uh, how about restless? Anyone restless? Feel like you felt like jumping out of your skin or getting out of this place? Yeah. Okay. How about uh, aches in the body? Yeah. Okay. And uh, busy mind? Yeah. You're doing great. Right on schedule. Because that's what the first day or two of a retreat is about. Um, it takes a while to land here. Actually, for if you really want to know, it takes, um, for most people, three days to really land. You might find a difference tomorrow, although sometimes the second day is even harder than the first, so I'm not going to guarantee anything. But Probably by the third day, you'll notice hmm, this is a little bit different than when I first got here. Um, but at the beginning, um, you're, uh, as I as I like to say, I said in one of the groups, it's like you're going through a detox right now. You're you're fasting from stimulation and from doing and from uh, all the things that distract us. Uh, and it takes a while to get in touch with your own energy instead of running on outside stimuli. <clears throat> and you're also being told, sit still now for 45 minutes, pay attention, just like they tell you in school when you were a little boy or girl, pay attention now. Walk in a very uh, structured way. Okay, and now uh, sleep in a bed that you're not used to. Uh, maybe food or uh, that you're not used to. Uh, maybe with a roommate. Um, you look at the schedule and there's sitting, walking, sitting, walking, sitting, walking. Uh, where's the entertainment here? Um, and so there can be a lot of resistance and, um, mm, yeah, grumpiness, especially with the low energy on, on the first day. So if you're going through that, this is just a natural part of the process. The thing that's easier over time, as you've done this a number of times, uh, is that uh, you know that that's part of the deal. So you're not putting pressure on yourself or wondering, what am I doing wrong? Um, although you might 
even if you've been doing it for a while, remember that last retreat. Wow, it was so sweet. We usually remember the last sit of the last retreat when we didn't want it to end. That's what gets you to the next one. But as uh, you probably know, there are many people who've done lots of retreats here and there's a reason they keep on coming back. Uh, I, I remember this, this line Jack used to say that uh, the spiritual journey uh, requires a cup of wisdom, a barrel of love, and an ocean of patience. And so that's what we're learning these first few days, that, that ocean of patience where we're not putting, um, putting an unrealistic agenda on top of things and just letting it be how it is and being willing to show up for it. So I appreciate the fact that you're still here and if you have had thoughts of a grand escape in the middle of the night, you know, that's also natural. Uh, please check in with the managers before you go. And I, I think you'll find that if you keep on doing this and just show up and trust in the process that there's something very very profound that you're doing here. It's a very mysterious thing. I wanted to talk tonight, give you a sense of the, uh, the journey, this journey of awakening that we're on, whether you realize it or not. <clears throat> the key ingredient in this journey as we've talked about uh, so far and we'll continue to talking uh, about throughout the retreat is mindfulness. This is one of the Buddha's greatest gifts. Not only that there is a possibility of coming to the deepest kind of freedom, but there is a tool that can be used to take us all the way there. And this is mindfulness, as he says in the Satipatthana Sutta, the discourse on, on mindfulness, uh, that all of um, this kind of meditation is based on. He starts off by saying, there is a most direct way, or it's sometimes translated, there is a most wonderful way to overcome sorrow, lamentation, and grief, despair, pain, anxiety, and realize the highest happiness. That is the establishment of mindfulness. <clears throat> it's amazing how he figured that out. It's so simple and yet so transformative. Just by paying attention to our experience in a skillful way, we can do all of those things. Open to the most difficult pains and the most amazing possibilities of freedom. 
I wanted to talk a little bit about mindfulness as, as I talk about this whole journey. Um, as probably most of you know, but I'll just mention it a little bit, uh, mindfulness, a few different aspects that I find helpful to understand. One, um, seeing things clearly, seeing things as they are. The word vipassana, you I'm sure I've seen that word, Vipassana meditation. This is called Vipassana meditation. And the translation of Vipassana is um, generally to see things clearly, to see things as they are. That means you don't have to pretend your experience is any different than how it is, whether it's um, challenging, you know, oh, this is, this is a difficult uh, sit doesn't have to be, I'm going to die if this sitting doesn't end in five minutes. It's just, oh, this is hard right now. Or if it's delicious and wonderful, maybe you're going to be enlightened in it any, any moment, but maybe you're not. Maybe it's just, this is really pleasant, beautiful, delicious. And just calling it like it is. Or this is boring. Or this is... Uh, frustrating, or this is calm and peaceful. Whatever it is, is okay. To just see things as they are. And when you're aligned in the truth that way, just calling it like it is, there's some, uh, there's something quite extraordinary that, that happens. To just see things as they are means you're also here in the present moment, which is not where many of us spend a lot of our time. You probably have seen this in sitting, how the, the, the mind has a tremendous capacity to be in the past. How many people were in the past a lot today? Okay. In the future, okay, or lost in fantasy. Again, you're not alone. That's where most of us spend most of our time, and we're learning something quite radical to be here, to be present for our life, which is a very good alternative to missing it. So to see things as they are, to be present, to know what's happening right now. As you start to pay attention to the present, something becomes increasingly clear. The present is always changing. This is a very profound understanding because it means that no matter how difficult things are, when you really understand, not just conceptually, but experientially that things change, you're not so frightened that you're going to be stuck for good. And here it is, oh, okay, this is here right now. This will pass. Let me learn what I can while I'm in the middle of this. And the corollary to that is no matter how good it is, when you experientially understand that things change, you're not confused or frustrated or thinking, how did I blow it? What did, what did I do wrong? It's just the way of things. Everything changes. And so 
rather than trying to come to final destination of paradise, we're really learning to be here for the changes, the ups, the downs, all of it, and to see we have that capacity. Okay, so seeing things as they are, being here in the present, noticing how things change, and learning to be with our experience without judging or evaluating or thinking, oh, this is the way it's supposed to be, or, well, if I were running the universe, I'd do a much better job than this. But just, this is how it is. A non-judging kind awareness. And this is what we're practicing. And this is all you need to do, as the Buddha said, to come to freedom. A non-judging, kind awareness. We start off today with mainly um, um, turning our attention, inclining our mind towards noticing that we're breathing. Because that's something that's always here. For most people, it's, it's a... It's a good, it's a good uh, primary object. Not for everyone, but for many people, um, it's it's one that's um, that's with us all the time, and that we can um, we can train ourselves to come back to. Okay, but we will, as the retreat goes on, open to include more and more parts of experience, including sensations in the body and sounds and emotions, and the thought process itself, and even the awareness that's knowing it all, so that there's nothing outside of the field of awareness. And that's a, a very uh, important understanding, because that means whatever is happening is just the next thing to cultivate awareness or mindfulness with. As uh, uh, one of my colleagues says, awareness doesn't care. Awareness doesn't care what it's noticing. There is a caring quality to awareness, but it doesn't care what it's paying attention to, whether it's something beautiful or something difficult. And as the Buddha said, or pointed to, Anything is just as good as anything else to cultivate mindfulness. There's different lenses of mindfulness. Sometimes it can be a, a wide panoramic lens. Sometimes my, my mental note of last resort, when I have no idea what's going on, oh, confusion, that's what's happening. And in that moment, I'm here. I might be clearly confused, but I'm clear about it. Oh, confusion. And that moment of mindfulness is just as liberating as a moment of noticing your hair follicles swaying in the breeze as you notice inside your nostrils. It's just another moment of mindfulness. Awareness doesn't care. And this quality of awareness it's simple, but it's quite profound in its liberating um, properties. As a, an exercise, I did this in one of the groups. I really like doing this. Joseph uh, Goldstein was the, 
I, I first learned this from him many years ago, and I find it really so helpful. Just put your hand out in front of you right now. Okay. And move it back and forth. I did this in one of the groups. Just moving it back and forth and put all your attention on feeling the movement. And now close your eyes as you do it and keep on paying attention. Right now, is there any worry in your mind? Any fear? Just feel the movement. Any yesterday or tomorrow? You're just feeling the movement. Okay, you can open your eyes. Congratulations, you were just mindful. And in that moment, you weren't caught up in the stories that your mind often generates. You're just connected to this moment in your life. And it's okay. I'm not saying the sky opens up and you got zapped. Wow, that was a moment of mindfulness. How cool. It's just, oh yeah, hand moving. That's okay. And there's a kind of rest in that and connection with this moment in your life where you don't need to add anything on to make it better or take anything away to make it a better moment. It's just what it is. And that same attitude can be applied to breathing in, breathing out, hearing, feeling a sensation, whether it's an itch or a uh, a cool cosmic vibration, or feeling an emotion, whether it's a beautiful one or a, a challenging one, or noting, noticing that thoughts are happening, it's still the same. Awareness doesn't care. Oh, it's this moment. Mm. And in that, um, in that connection, there's a balance so that's one quality of mindfulness, where you're not lost in your stories. Another one is that even when you are lost in your story, a moment of awareness wakes you up. And I'll, I'll read a, a favorite anecdote of mine um, that uh, is about my dear friend Sylvia Borstein, who's a teacher here and... Um, and a mindfulness um, expert talking about how um, mindfulness really helped her shift from, uh, from a confusing, unpleasant experience to a whole other way. And she describes um, how one evening in, uh, she was in New York uh, visiting a friend and they were uh, going to meet for a theater performance, and uh, she decided to take a bus to get there. As the bus crept along through the heavy traffic, Sylvia started worrying. I'm gonna be late, I'll miss the curtain, my friend will worry what happened to me. I shouldn't have taken the bus, the subway would have been so much faster. Figuring she could walk faster than the bus was going, Sylvia got off. And of course, as I'm walking, she says, the bus, is, bus passes me by. And now I'm thinking, I should have taken a cab. Now, Sylvia has been meditating for many years, but she's also, by her own admission, been fretting for even longer. And so it was natural that she'd 
have that reaction. So she continues her story where she's, she's running down Broadway in high heels with a cold wind whipping about her. And then she says, all of a sudden I have the thought, oh, what am I doing? Oh, I'm grumbling. That's a moment of mindfulness. Up until then, I was caught up in a habit-driven narrative, an editorial comment about what was happening. But the moment at which the mind says, oh, Sylvia, dear, you're grumbling, the lens switches, and suddenly the truth of that moment is, I'm a 71-year-old woman running down Broadway in the middle of winter in high heels. That is far out. That is an extremely fortunate thing to be able to do. It changed everything. I felt proud, and I actually hoped a lot of people saw me. (laughs) Just in one moment of mindfulness, oh, yes, dear, you're having a hard time. Your mind is just getting caught in grumbling. The awareness that sees that isn't caught in that story. So that's one way that mindfulness works. In a moment, you can wake up from whatever the story is that the mind has created. I did a retreat here this past year, and uh, I was getting uh, fairly quiet. It was it was sweet, uh, but every now and but from time to time, I get lost in thoughts. And when I'd wake up from my thought, I would say, this is through the, the whole retreat uh, um, that I did this, it was, a, it was a new little trick I played. I just said, oh, mental fabrication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, mental fabrication. It didn't matter what it was, it was just seeing, oh, the mind just created this story. And sometimes they were wonderful stories and sometimes they weren't. It didn't matter. Oh, just woke up which is something that I I really hope that you get. It doesn't matter how long you've been gone or where you've gone to, in a moment that you wake up, ah, that's a moment of reconnection. Oh, here we are again. So mindfulness interrupts the negative thoughts and it also has an amazing capacity to cultivate all the wholesome states. In, uh, in the Buddhist teachings, there are 52 what are called mental factors, some of them unwholesome or states of suffering, uh, like greed, hatred, delusion, jealousy, um, all of those. You're familiar with those, right? And then there are wholesome states, love, compassion, um, patience, equanimity, peace. And mindfulness has the unique property of weakening all the unwholesome states and strengthening all the wholesome states. That's pretty cool. Every moment that you're mindful, you are doing that, weakening the unwholesome and strengthening the wholesome. Mindfulness is simply noticing what's happening without getting into a judgment about it or trying to interpret or figure out what's happening. And I just want to put this out as a little 
warning in case you're trying to understand your experience. Be careful of the word why. Why am I here again? Why am I having this thought? Why can't I be more attentive or patient or whatever? Why will almost guarantee you to spin your wheels? And I wanted to share with you a, a, uh, an anecdote, if I can find it. Where is it here? I didn't take it with me, but I will, I know it so well, so I'll remember. This, um, this woman who was on a, um, her first retreat, she was really trying to figure everything out. And I kept on saying, you don't have to figure it out. And by the end of the retreat, she suddenly got it. She said, uh, I finally got the idea, you don't have to figure it out. I was walking in my walking meditation uh, the other day and I was going around and around in my brain trying to figure out and understand what was going on and then finally I remembered, oh, you don't have to figure it out. And I thought to myself, oh, what is the truth of what's happening right now in this moment? And I checked in and I saw what was happening was the rising and falling of my breath and my footsteps walking one in front of the other. And I thought to myself, and the rest will balance itself out in its own time. And I resumed my walking. What a revelation. You don't have to figure it out. All you need to do is be present for this moment of experience. That's enough. It simplifies things tremendously when all you realize that you need to do is notice what's happening right now. That's enough. Anything else in your agenda will just complicate things. So how to bring about this quality of skillful attention. I mentioned last night some attitudes that I find really helpful and supportive. Three particularly. Relaxed, interested, kind awareness. Relaxed doesn't mean lazy. We can sometimes have an idea that, well, okay, I'll really relax and just, if I'm mindful, I'm mindful. If I'm not, I'm not. It's cool, whatever. That's not gonna do it. This does take intention. It takes real commitment just to be here in the present moment. And so, it means you're willing to bring yourself back, but without the report card, without the struggle, and just a sense of, oh, this moment is waiting for me here right now. 
And I don't have to try harder to be with it than just connect as I can. And if there's a sense of tightness or struggle, remember this teaching. Struggling is extra. Struggling is extra. You don't get any bonus points for struggling. And so if you find yourself tight, then that's time to lighten up, to be more at ease, to just relax. If you find yourself too relaxed, you have to be really honest with yourself and it's a wholeheartedness that a willingness to be here when you're not, a willingness to come back to this moment, even if it's not a pleasant one, to figure out, find some way to create a spaciousness in the mind and the heart that can connect. And if it's hard to connect with what's happening in this moment because it's a difficult experience and the mindfulness can't handle it if the body is hurting too much or the, the emotion is, is too triggering. You don't need to go there. You can go someplace else. You can just, if it's too much and you're getting really lost or confused, you can simply open your eyes and look around and notice, oh, seeing, that's what's happening. Or you can open up and listen to sounds. Ah, that's another moment of mindfulness, just switching the lens. If you can be with what's here in a balanced, interested way, then that's, that's the most powerful. But to make sure that the, the mind and the heart have enough ease and spaciousness to connect, Otherwise, your, your very agitation and contraction will keep you from, from seeing things clearly. So relaxed, interested, this is a key. This is what keeps the, the practice from being over-efforting, to just be interested in what's here. And we all come into this world with a natural interest. I've mentioned often this birthday card that I, that I have that I've never given away because I'm somewhat attached to it. Um, and it's of this, this baby who's just uh, obviously taken a booger out of his nose. And there he is, mesmerized, fascinated. And you open it up. I wish I could show it to you. I have to start bringing it on retreats. And you open it up and it says, you always were easy to entertain. Happy birthday. You know? that's, that's this natural curiosity that we've come into this world with. If you've ever seen, if you're ever around babies, the whole world is new. It's right in there in you. We love to learn. There's this curiosity that wants to know. And we can use that and apply it 
to our practice. What is worry anyway? Let's feel this. Oh, I'm bored. Okay, what is boredom? Let's check it out. You might say, well, that's boring. But actually, boredom can be fascinating. There's a lot going on with boredom. You're wanting, aren't you? Wanting something to be different. You're not wanting this to be here. There's a restlessness and an agitation. All of them are happening, but we kind of cover it over. Boring. Take a look. Oh, what is boredom anyway? If you can be interested in boredom, you're onto something. Everything is worthy of our attention. And when the mindfulness is strong, then everything becomes interesting. Uh, sometimes, uh, as a, a corollary to the, the baby, sometimes I think of myself as a newborn baby. Oh, what is it like to breathe? taking my first breath, my very first breath in this moment, first moment of my life. Sometimes I'll think of myself as an alien that's just landed from a spaceship and I'm just reporting back to the mothership. Oh, this is what walking is like for these guys. Oh, lifting your foot, putting it down. Because when it's interesting, it's a lot more fun to play, pay attention. Uh, and that's why I often say, you know, make it like a game. This is not a pass-fail test. It's just a, a, an exploration in reality. <clears throat> Mindfulness is relaxed, interested, and kind. There's a kindness to the awareness. It's not a sterile awareness. There's a kindness right in that connection to reality. And this is where realizing that your mind wanders and dealing with the wandering mind, this is where it's so key in this practice. Your mind will wander. Have you noticed? If your mind hasn't wandered, I'd like you to come up to me after the talk and uh, tell me what's going on there. Your mind wanders. How do you deal with the wandering mind when you realize it? Is there frustration? Is there discouragement? Or is there an understanding, oh, this is just what minds do. Okay, let me come back. The way you come back is the key to the whole process. If you come back with frustration and judgment, that's what you're cultivating. If you reconnect with kindness and patience, that's what you're cultivating. So it's a kind awareness both in the return from the wandering and also with whatever you're experiencing in this moment. Often we equate how we're doing by the results, what our meditation is like in any moment. Am I calm? Am I clear? Oh, must be doing well, must be doing it right. Am I uh, having a lot of 
feelings and emotions, oh, must be doing it wrong. This is a real misunderstanding about practice. You don't have much control over what happens, but you can meet it with a kind awareness. And so that's the key. Mm-hmm. And the key also in developing our practice is continuity of awareness. It's one thing to be present during the meditation, the sitting in the hall as best you can, or in the walking, but if you can make the whole day a dance of awareness, you'll notice a great deepening in practice. The first day or two, as I say, you haven't really landed, but when you can start to see that brushing your teeth is just as sacred an act as sitting here in the hall and feeling your breath, uh, then the whole thing starts to deepen because it's that momentum of mindfulness that builds on itself as um, uh, Joseph, my teacher, our, our teacher, uh, used to have this um, little, uh, little game. He said, You're, uh, you can think of it as accumulating NPMs. NPMs are noticings per minute. Just see how many noticings per minute. Not, not in a pass-fail, but just seeing how many you can, you can uh, develop. And as you, at the beginning, it takes some effort to come here, as I say. But the more that your mindfulness has a continuity and a momentum, the more you see, and the more you see, the more interesting everything is, and the more interesting everything is, the more you want to pay attention, and the more you want to pay attention, the stronger the mindfulness gets. And so it kind of begets itself. But if you are mindful every now and then, it's not strengthening, and when it's not strong, things aren't quite as interesting. We need a little bit more pizzazz to call our attention. And so when things aren't quite as interesting, we get bored and we look for distractions, and the less mindful we are, and the less mindful we are, the less we see and the less interesting it is. So in the beginning, that's where this effort is so important. But it's not a tight effort. It's an effort that comes from just a sincerity of heart. How can I meet this moment in a way that is connecting and balanced? This is a moment of my life that's never been here before and will never be here again. Oh, let me be here for it. In that process of opening up and deepening our mindfulness, we begin to see the whole show inside. We make friends with ourselves. We make friends with everything inside. There's a a line I love from Robert Bly. He says, uh, every part 
of ourselves that we do not learn to embrace will become hostile to us. That means being willing to see the pettiness, sadness, judgment, loneliness, jealousy. It's all part of being human. And the more we can embrace it and say this too, just like you would to a child, you, a, a parent uh, needs to learn to love the whole package, including when that child is having a tantrum. You don't say, oh, I'll come back when you're peaceful. You know, I mean, you might, you might say, okay, time out. I need a time out, you need a time out. But you're not gonna be turning your back when, when that child is, is hurting you want to just still learn to love them no matter where they are. And it's the same way with us. We're learning to hold all of ourselves, the hindrances, the, the demons, the difficulties, and uh, we'll hear more about that uh, tomorrow um, in the talk. But just want you to know it's a very profound process of learning to hold it all. Just uh, before we go on, one thing that I, I do, I'll, I'll offer you now, and um, uh, you'll hear more tomorrow. When you're having a hard time, very simple thing to do, just put your hand on your heart. Try it right now. You're going through a confused time or some sadnesses or a memory or some feeling that comes up. This is self-compassion. And uh, Christopher Germer and Kristen Neff particularly have developed this whole approach of self-compassion. And just even touching yourself like this releases oxytocin and uh, helps you hold. It soothes the whole system. And you don't have to fix or change anything. Just know, oh, I'm having a hard time right now. Okay, this is part of life, and let me hold this with kindness. And you can go through the whole week with your hand on your heart. If you're having a hard time, it's fine. And there are other tools that we'll share with you besides just the, the holding, but that's that's basically uh, the attitude that we're cultivating is first learning to accept and be with it all. And the more we can be with it all, the more we start to see that not only are there difficult emotions and feelings and stuff inside, but there's beautiful qualities that can hold them. There's courage, there's compassion, there's love, there's patience, there's wisdom, there's peace. All of those are part of being human and all of those whether it's the difficult or the beautiful, can be held with that awareness that doesn't care. And as we are willing to open up to all the hard stuff, 
those other natural qualities shine through. This is uh, from a great Tibetan master, Nyosho Kempo, who says, Buddha nature, sorry, this keeps on rubbing against my chin. Buddha nature, the essence of awakened enlightenment itself is present in everyone. Its essence is forever pure and flawless. Those who recognize their true nature are enlightened. Those who ignore it or overlook it are deluded. There's no way to enlightenment other than by recognizing this Buddha nature and authentically identifying it within one's own stream of being. So you see that you have this capacity that's even stronger than all the confusion and, uh, and unwholesome states, uh, states of suffering that arise. And there's forgiveness, and there's acceptance, and then there's delight in all of those qualities. But the more you are willing to keep on looking, the more you go in deeper and deeper and see more and more of the places and the ways that you get caught and stuck. As a this teaching I love from Ram Das, he says, uh, as you further purify yourself, your impurities will seem grosser and larger. Understand that it's not that you're getting more caught in the illusion, it's just that you're seeing it more clearly. The, the lions guarding the gates of the temple get fiercer as you go towards each inner temple but the light gets brighter too. And so part of this process, particularly if you've been doing this, this is your 10th or 15th retreat, is being humbled again and again, where you think, I figured this out. Here I am, stuck again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. I have a, a talk on Dharma Seed. I'm stuck and I can't believe I'm in the same place again. There's a saying in, uh, in India, it says, even a 93-year-old saint isn't safe. It's just one thought away. Hey, I think I'm pretty evolved now. Oh yeah, the universe comes and bops you on the head and says, well, try this one on for size. And so it's a process of knowing that there's more and more work to do until, there's, until you're fully cooked. And humility is a very important part of this whole process to see you're not running the show. Mm. And it's a, it's a very helpful thing to realize, oh, this is a process. This great Zen master, Shanul, I think he's like 12th century or so, he, he talks about sudden awakening and gradual cultivation. You might have a very profound experience of understanding, but until you're 
purified of all of those habits that have been cultivated over lifetimes, there's a cultivation so that that's where you naturally abide more and more. But when you forget, it's okay to forget. Just, it's a matter of remembering what you already know. And I wanted to read to you uh, uh, a letter that uh, somebody uh, wrote to me uh, earlier this year that I love, who's been doing a lot of practice, many uh, two-month retreats and three-month retreat, and she's sat uh, on many retreats that I've taught, and we, we stay in touch. And she was telling me about her um, her six-week retreat at IMS this last year, where she and she, but she turned a corner after a number of years. She was really hard on herself. In the last year or two, she finally has embraced. Oh, this is okay. This person here, but she still forgets. And she said, um, um, "Thanks to probably many good conditions, towards the end things began to fall into place again, as it seems they tend to do." When I got home. I wrote this little note to myself to maybe use in the future. And this is her note. Dear future me, caught in resistance, boredom, doubt, or self-doubt, etc. I know it may not seem this way right now, but it's worth it. Really, really worth it. And it's working. And you're not doing it all wrong. In fact, you can't really not do it right. Your intention is powerful. Even when you may not recognize it at the moment, sometimes it goes a bit undercover. But believe me, it's there. And that's all that matters. You're doing great. And you're wonderful. And I love you. And I'm so grateful that you are doing this. And I'm right there beside you with a lot of faith and compassion. Lean on it whenever you need it. All will be well. There is only one direction this can go. I, I love that letter. Especially having been, having seen her process over, over the years. A lot of it is just remembering what we somehow know to be true. And even when we forget, it's in there someplace. And we just need the conditions again to remind us of, of that wisdom that's right in there. There's a, a good analogy, again, that Joseph uses of this process, this journey. I don't know if he still uses this anymore, but when in my early days of practice, it made it really made a, an impact. He says, "Just imagine a hill, and your task is to put a ball right on the center of that hill, that steep hill. It's very easy for that ball to fall off. That's the beginning of practice. It's very easy to lose your center." As you keep on practicing, that hill flattens out and you put that ball in the center and it takes a gust of wind to blow it off. 
And as you deepen your practice, that hill becomes a valley. And that ball naturally is in the center and it might get blown off, but this is where you come back to. So if this is new and you seem to be slipping off a whole lot, just know that every moment of mindfulness, you are deepening those habits of kindness and wisdom and uh, generosity of heart and you're deepening over time that place of home that you become more and more familiar with. And as you do, you move from hoping that you'll find that you're okay to knowing you're okay. And when you know you're okay, you don't have to keep on dwelling and seeing, how am I doing? And so that goes to another stage of practice. There's a beautiful teaching I love from uh, Zen Master Dogen who, uh, who says, to study Buddhism is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be intimate with all things. Okay, so what does that mean? Another Zen cryptic thing. What am I supposed to do with that? Okay, to study Buddhism is to study the self. To practice the Dharma, you're practicing. This is your laboratory that you've been given, that you've been issued. In this fathom long body, all of life is revealed. This is your laboratory to study reality, to study. Buddhism is to study the self, to practice and to use this laboratory. To study the self is to forget the self. That is, once you kind of see, oh, I'm just a mind-body process that's part of life, that's okay, and I don't have to keep on hoping that I'll be accepted as part of life, oh, to study the self is to forget the self. You don't have to keep on trying to impress others or wonder how you're doing compared to them. You can forget your self-preoccupation. To forget the self is to be intimate with all things. There's a connection that naturally arises, a feeling of non-separation as the barriers get lifted. You can be intimate with all things. And that's when your own practice is not just about feeling okay about yourself, but about moving beyond and seeing some deep understandings of reality that then you not only feel a connection, but want to share with everyone. Your practice becomes a gift to everyone in your life. This is the full flowering of your practice when you realize it's not just about you. Your own kindness and compassion and clarity becomes a gift that awakens everybody around you and just gets passed on. So this is where we're heading, not just to get through the day and to hope you can develop a little bit of 
of, uh, of mindfulness on the breath. It's something much bigger than that. You're developing all of these beautiful qualities that then become um, an expression of the awakened heart and touch everyone around you. So I'll, I'll close with this, this passage also from Nyosho Kempo, who says in this bigger picture, we're not just practicing for ourselves alone. Since everyone is involved and included in the great scope of this perfectly pure motivation to benefit others, whatever else we might do is secondary to that. If we cultivate this good heart, this altruistic, unselfish attitude, then all strife and struggle will naturally be pacified, purified, and transformed in us and become beneficial to others through contact with this good heart, which we, the bodhisattvas in training, strive to embody. So let's sit for a few moments and practice presence together. Just simply knowing what's happening right now. So thank you very much for your attention. We have a half an hour now for walking and we'll come back for one last sitting for the day. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.